This is Just the Right Book, and I'm Roxanne Cody of R.J. Julia Booksellers. Each week, I hope to bring to you the stories behind the books, talking with some of the very best contemporary nonfiction authors, books that are timeless and charming, provocative and of the moment. The conversations you want to hear about the books you need to read. This is Just the Right Book, and I am Roxanne Cody, Just the Right Book Shorts, I should say. I'm joined, as always, by Billy Goldstein, who's an author, a critic, and a guest reviewer or critic. I don't know what the right word is for NBC. And this is our shorts version. Every other week, we interview uh, an author, what I call the long form. Uh, This is quick 20 minutes or so to give you some ideas of what to read, or maybe you just want to listen and then you can make believe you read the book if we give you enough information. (laughs) So um, we'll, we'll see where that goes. So Billy, I want to start our conversation today. There were two books that are coming out that both caught my eye that I want to read. And one is a book coming out called Amy Winehouse by Amy Winehouse. And it is a book that tells her tragic story. And I'm obsessed. I had seen the documentary about her. I adored, I adore her music. You know, it's a very sad story about how people around her couldn't or didn't save her. But this book is taken from her journals and her lyrics. And uh, there, I I believe there's some photography in it. I haven't looked at the book yet. So I'm keen on picking that up and I'll report back on that. But the other one, um, and I think you and I are both big fans, is Jill Lepore has a new book out called The Deadline Essays. And This is a book that, like many of her books, takes her standing as a historian to bring insight and wisdom to events. And I have uh, this covers this is a little bit has a theme of aimlessness. I've read some of them already when they were first in The New Yorker. But what I love about Jill Lepore, and I'd like to take a minute for us to both talk about her. What I love about Jill Lepore is that she seems to bring such clear sight to observing what's going on politically or culturally. And I do think because it's informed by her knowledge as a historian, but it's also informed by her clarity. Mm. You know, there's something so crispy about her writing I mean, how do you feel about Jill Lepore? And have you read the book yet? Well, I haven't read the collection. I have it, I mean, but I've read many of the pieces in The New Yorker as they were published. And I think you've described it exactly. I mean, she she she's a professor of history at Harvard, but brings an enormously sharp eye to the present day. I mean, informed, I guess, by her understanding of history. and and. I think it was in the last segment uh, that we did where we talked about Amy Chua and uh, about her first novel. And when you were describing 
the many books she's written and the many different kinds of books she has written and that she's a professor at Yale, et cetera. Jill Lepore seems to me, I mean, not necessarily to be at all like Amy Chua as a, a person. I mean, they have different expertises and stuff, but to be that kind of multi yeah various writer who, I, I, as far as I know, Jill Lepore has not written fiction, but who has the ability to write about almost anything with great authority. I mean, so when you read her New Yorker pieces, you just, you feel the authority of her writing as a historian, but also as almost like a reporter. I mean, she's a commentator on on Mm -hmm. the scene. And what always has amazed me about her is, in addition to the topics that she covers in the New Yorker, which range so widely, she also writes such different books. Uh, She wrote this really great book, which I think a lot of people read um, or or tried to read the whole of, I mean, almost in the way people read or try to read the whole of The Power Broker, uh, which was These Truths, A History of the United States, Mm. published in 2018. And and I think, you know, sort of not as a textbook, but as for a a general reader, uh, one volume history of the United States. And but she also wrote a really fantastic book, which is called The Secret History of Wonder Woman. And which was a crazy, crazy story. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's why, you know, it's like, who knew that there was such a story to tell? And I mean, if people want to just dive into her work, I think the the secret history of Wonder Woman is a great place to start. Although, of course, the book we're talking about now, The Deadline, uh, comes in smaller bits. I think there's something like 40 or 50 essays in in this. So, yeah. uh, a little, but I read Jill Lepore with that kind of confounding admiration of, oh my God, how does she do all this? How does she teach? How does she write for the New Yorker? And then how has she encompassed all of these subjects as marvelously as she does? So just with total admiration. Well, the other book of hers that I read was the Book of Ages, yes, which I- was about Ben Franklin's sister. Yes, I was. Gonna, <laughs> I was going to that that I love that. I mean, just I mean, it's not an alternative history so much as just like, OK, here's the history we know. And here, just if we turn our glance in a slightly different direction, I mean, like moving our eyes to the side, here's this entire other story and history and person. Yeah. Book of Ages. And the other the other little book somebody could start with, they could start with their new book, but the other book that is, I think, a pretty slim volume, if I'm remembering it right, is This America, The Case for the Nation. Oh, right. I think it's drawn from the larger. I think it's book. exactly. I thought it's a subset of the original book. And, you know, here's how I would summarize this for people who haven't read a Jill Lepore, that. I find that she enhances my understanding of what I am witnessing. And as, mm-hmm. you know, as someone who reads a lot and reads a lot of newspapers, you, you know, sometimes the the onslaught of information, actually the contemporaneousness distorts its significance. Mm-hmm. There's a way that you overreact or underreact to an event. And I think what Jill Lepore does for me as a reader is it pulls me back from 
current information and gives me a wider view with which to think about it. Mm -hmm. So that's Jill Lepore. For those of you who haven't read her, you can you have lots to look forward to. And for those of you that have, like Billy and I, who are going to pick up Deadline, the essays, will enjoy her new book. Billy, what else do you have? Well, I read a fantastic and very surprising memoir that I wanted to recommend, which is called The Country of the Blind uh, by Andrew Leland. It's his first book, which I'm always so astounded when I'm reading a first book that says excellent. I mean, I don't, I, I shouldn't be, I suppose, but when you see that someone is in such control of their material. It's always uh, impressive when it's the first book. So it's a first book, as I say, called The Country of the Blind. And the subtitle is A Memoir at the End of Sight. And Andrew Leland has retinitis pigmentosa, which is a progressive disease uh, that showed up in his teens. And, and his eyesight gets narrower and narrower and you know less and less. Um, and he describes the effects of retinitis pigmentosa, but the end result isn't quite clear. I mean, whether he will be totally blind and when, and even what comes up in this book and what he explores is not only his own personal experience. So we get his family experience, his, his wife and his, his child, as he says, you know, he met his wife, they went on a blind date. I mean, so he has a sense, <laughs> you know, humor uh, here too, but the course of retinitis pigmentosa, as I say, is un known always. I mean, you know, the timing of things, but also, as he says, uh, the misperception is that blind people are totally blind, like, you know, but there is a large percentage of blind people who still have some perception of light. I mean, it is not an experience of what sighted people would call total darkness. And in addition to the, the fact that this is a memoir, I like that it's called The Country of the Blind, because I think that gives a good sense that this is also a travelogue of blind people's lives in the United States today, the state of scientific experiment. I mean, how blind people are trained in, in schools. He goes to a, a you know, kind of immersive school where people who are losing their sight basically learn how to do things that um, they can do on their own. I mean, including mechanical things that you think would be impossible for people who who are blind. So you get a lot of different characters. You get a lot of different places in the country. It's just really engaging in really informative travel log of the country, as he puts it, of the blind. So Andrew Leland, as I say, it's a memoir, but it's also so much more. And it's just so informative. I think one of the almost philosophical questions I'd say he explores also is really the question of how and why we as human beings, I mean, have and continue to consider sight almost the highest of our senses Mm -hmm. and bringing that not so much into doubt, but really a reflection on some of the things we just assume about ourselves when sight is taken for granted. Mm -hmm. And even the idea of insight as something we see. Oh, it's just the, the way that word 
reverberates in, in all of our uh, lives. So yeah. Leland is a very engaging writer. That's an interesting question about the debate. If you had people who have lost, you know, the two major senses, hearing and sight, about the debate about which is the more debilitating or compromising of them. You know, it's, that that's interesting to think about. But the fact that you bring up a memoir reminds me of two things. One is when I think of some of the early memoirs, contemporary memoirs, it sort of started shaping this idea of writing a book about your upbringing mm-hmm. and it being sort of a slice of life, not an autobiography, you know, literally a memoir. So we had guests uh, this weekend and one of them picked up a book that my husband Kev had called The Edge of Maine by Jeffrey Wolf. Jeffrey Wolf lives in Maine and he wrote this book. I haven't read it and I'm not going to comment on it, but he asked me, was that the same Jeffrey Wolf that wrote Duke of Deception? And he and I started talking about Jeffrey Wolf's Duke of Deception and his brother's Toby Wolf's book, This Boy's Life. And we both were reminded of how powerful. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a a quick view of the story is Jeffrey Wolf and Tobias Wolf were separated. The father, the Duke, took Jeffrey Wolf and the mother took Tobias Wolf and they led dramatically different lives. Jeffrey Wolf's father was this kind of charming grifter, you know, who lived a big life that maybe, you know, that wasn't supportable and then a, a different life when when his luck sort of ran out. But Toby's mother was a woman who clearly was without resources, attracted to violent, abusive men, very different life. So I read them as I think many people did. I don't know how proximate in time they came out to each other, but I was reminded of the fact that there are so many great books that, you know, that we call contemporary books that were huge in our lives or were huge bestsellers that sort of fade. Yeah. And I think This Boy's Life and Duke of Deception fall into that category and ought to be Read and I think they present the early versions. I think they were written over 30 years ago. Early versions of the, you know, laying it all out there about what went on in your family memoir. Yes, I mean, I'm so glad it's. Uh, I I read both of those books, and I'm just getting almost like a physical <laughs> reaction uh, as you're talking about them because it's been so long, and I I think with all of the memoirs that sort of have been published, I guess, in the last 20 years or something. I mean, I think of Mary Carr's The Liars Club, mm-hmm. Running with Scissors, and you know, some of what I... Color of Water. Color of Water, exactly, by James McBride, um, whose novel uh, we talked about a few uh, segments ago, episodes ago. That, that earlier history, I mean, I, I tend to think of like memoir as this genre, I mean, obviously people have been writing memoirs for centuries, but 
this bookstore commercial successful genre yeah. that is you know consistently replenished as as being something sort of of more recent commercial success angela's ashes i mean basically almost you know spawned by the success of angela's ashes and the duke of the deception and this boy's life i want you've made me want to reread them mm-hmm. i i hope they're in print i mean i i want to look that they up. look like they are I, I i i checked before we went on and i think they're in print and then in the same category which is going to seem bizarre I wanted to pick up the letters of John McGarren. Now, I have I only started reading it the other day, and I'm not going to comment on it. He's a very well-known Irish writer, and there was something about the review of this book that obviously made me get it. I'm not sure what it was. I got to go back and look up the review. But early in the book, he's writing a letter, and he's talking about Tolstoy. Mm-hmm. And he refers to Tolstoy's last book written in 1899 called Resurrection. So Tolstoy is best known, as you might know, Billy, yes. for War and Peace <laughs> and Anna Karenina. But my favorite Tolstoy book is Resurrection. <gasps> I read this book uh, maybe 20 years ago, 15 years, not, you know, not 100 years ago. <laughs> and it is about a nobleman wanting to make a repair a sin from his youth. Mm-hmm. And it ends up being about inequality in a very contemporary way. It's obviously set in Russia, but I think it's a book of his that people forget. And if you like Russian writers, and you've read War War and Peace, or you've decided that there's not enough time in this life to read War and Peace. Mm-hmm. Resurrection is shorter. It's not short. But my recollection of that book is that I was obsessed with it. Oh. I loved it so much. Now, it is a he is a Russian writer. It is set, you know, he wrote it in 1899. It's filled with names you can't pronounce, which I've always decided to not let me slow me down. <laughs> so I just assign like letters to them or something. So those are three books that maybe have gotten lost in the, you know, arc of time that deserve getting a peek at. Mm-hmm. I have never read Resurrection. I have read War and Peace. I read it in college and also once after college. And I read Anna Karenina many times, including uh, again during the pandemic. And in fact, I found uh, as a bookmark in it, in that copy of it, an invitation to a friend's wedding from many years ago. And I realized, oh, I had used the invitation as a bookmark because the wedding was in Brooklyn. I live in Manhattan and I was reading the book on the subway to the wedding. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I, I found that, you know, these friends, the, I mean, I, I knew that they were married, but I did not remember the date on which they were married, obviously. And uh, so Resurrection, uh, I can read Tolstoy and yet not go over the same ground again. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, or another wedding. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'll see if they're getting uh, divorced and remarried. And oh, yeah, yeah. Don't even say that. No, no. Um, they very happily married. So. Good, good. I'm happy to hear that. All right. So you've been listening to Just the Right Book Shorts. I'm Roxanne Cody. I've been joined by Billy Goldstein. 
You can write to us at podcast at RJ Joya. Please subscribe. Tell your friends to subscribe. Follow us on Instagram. And, you know, one of the one of the theories I've been coming up with, we all think we're going to end up with like tons of time for the summer. And I think we talked about this before, that the thing to do is rather than think your reading has to stop in the summer is to consider Labor Day just a comma. And you can keep on reading. So this is going to air in the middle of September. So make believe you just have plenty of time to keep reading. Uh, Thanks again for listening. You are listening to Just the Right Book with Roxanne Cody, brought to you by Lit Hub Radio. The show is produced by Roxanne Cody, Michael Selleck, and Lit Hub Radio. Our editor is Gino Cardone at Pleasant Podcast. The original theme music is by Kurt Feldman. You can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. I am Roxanne Cody. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have any comments, observations, suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. You can email me at justtherightbook at rjjulia.com.